You're listening to highlights from One Planet podcast interview with Martin von Hildebrand. And I went there and I got a canoe and I started rowing into the forest. And I went rowing for six months on my own. And uh, it was fantastic because in this part of the rainforest, in the Colombian forest, where there are absolutely no roads, there's absolutely no towns, no electricity, no flowing water. I mean, you are with the indigenous group. They're all still in their loincloths. clothes. They speak different languages. I went through many. I went through about eight different ethnic groups. They all spoke different languages. Uh, I couldn't understand what they said. They couldn't understand what I said, but we got along well. So I went rowing for six months and it was absolutely like going back into the 17th century. It was fantastic. I mean, you move out of the Western world. You're, you're months away. If you drown in the river or disappear, you disappear. Nobody knows where you are. There's no communication whatsoever. And it is a fantastic feeling. Uh, the only thing I missed was somebody with me, of my a friend, culture, something like that, to share the emotions of the things you saw, just to, to look at this marvelous thing together. This marvelous people, landscape, world. And when I was going, after three months, I arrived at a place that suddenly there were no Indians there. There were no, there was just old people in the, in the communal houses, these big communal houses. And I asked where are the people, and they said they're at the camp. And I said, what camp? And they said, the rubber camp. And I went in there and I visited them in the rubber camp and they were basically slaves. They were in debt. They had been in debt for generations, working for the rubber barons or tap merchants. And the children were all taken by force to the missionary schools and basically taught not to be Indians. They called that civilizing the indigenous people and of course, Christianizing the indigenous people. And so everything was wrong. The culture was wrong, the language was wrong, the ancestors were wrong, the beliefs were wrong, the food was wrong, the getting up in the morning was wrong. Because the Indians get up at three o'clock or four o'clock in the morning, no, you get up at six. And, uh, and uh, the whole, everything was wrong. And this was, they, they were very, treated cruelly. I mean, they were punished if they didn't listen, if they didn't learn quickly. Um, the missionaries, when I met them later, I mean, I met them since then, they said, these Indians are so stupid, they can't even speak Spanish. And I said, well, the French can't speak Spanish and the English can't speak Spanish. Does, does that mean they're stupid? Um, but anyway, they had this attitude. And so I saw this and I was shocked. And I was shocked and I said, I'll hang around for two years to see if I can give you a hand. The fact that those two years turned into 50. And so I started giving them a hand. I went, I went back to, to Bogota uh, and, and a few, uh, two months later, I came back in. And like that, I started coming in and out, staying with them three months, four months, and then going back to Bogota and then coming in again. And uh, what we started was basically uh, uh, talking about, I, I mean, obviously they had no rights recognized at all. And uh, we started talking about that. And we started talking about education. And we started talking about this, how they're being in debt. And they want to change the situation, but they didn't know how to approach it. They had tried with the shamanistic approach to, to, to put spells on the white people, on the priests and all that. But they said it's very difficult because you come from a different culture. Your spirit is different. We can't really grasp it. We, you don't belong to the forest. You, when we try and grasp your spirit, we see it coming and suddenly it turns into a flame. It's fire and then it disappears again been very difficult. And they did try killing them. And there were some of them that were killed in the past. 
But then they had a lot of white people coming in with guns and killing the Indians. So they didn't want to start a war. And so it was difficult. So we started discussing about these things. And I said, well, I think the first thing is that you have to get uh, your land recognized. This land belongs to you, and we have to get this recognized. And they said, what are you talking about, Martine? The land doesn't belong to us. The land belongs to the birds. The land belongs to the trees. The land belongs to the animals. We belong to the land. Nobody can say that the land belongs to them. We are children of the land. I said, yet the white people think in a different way. And if you don't have a little piece of paper saying this is yours, they might come and take over. They didn't believe me. They thought it was absurd. But after meditating and going through several meetings, several months, which I insisted, they said, okay, Martin, since you're white and you said this is true, you go and get that piece of paper. And so I said, well, I won't go for a small piece of land. I'll go for 20 million hectares. That is uh, the size of the United Kingdom. Not of England, but the United Kingdom. And um, so I went and I started pushing this. I got some people to come in from government to look into this. I was funded as a, I had a contract with the Institute of Anthropology to do research, which I did, of course, but I was getting involved in this political angle or this. And um, actually then at that stage, I asked for the Colombian nationality because since I was getting involved politically, I could not do it as a foreigner. So I took on the Colombian nationality and I lost the American, but I was interested in this process. And I had the Europeans, so it was not a problem for me. But uh, we got the studies done for the land. And then we started, we set up small shops with the indigenous people, run by the headman, where they could buy with rubber. They bring in rubber, they, 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 they buy whatever they needed, a, a machete, a hammock, a fishing hooks, nylon, flashlights, whatever it was. And then we take the rubber down to Brazil, we exchange it for the same things and we'd come back to the shops. So they start becoming independent. And we started looking at the possibilities of local schools run by them also. And uh, I was getting fund, some money for this from the Colombian government. We worked along this and uh, I stayed until 1979 there. Then I went to France, I did my doctorate and I came back. And when I came back in the 80s, I got involved in government. I got involved first in the Ministry of Education in setting up the program of what we call ethno-education or intercultural education based on their languages. I had a lot of experience. I had lived about eight years with them. I understood their way of life, their way of thinking. And particularly, I dare say that when they sent me or they told me, Martin, you go and get that piece of paper and you go and talk with the government about this situation, I would say, and that's what they did, that they gave me a particular energy because they they use the word curar, they healed me, they put uh, shamanistic energy so my word would be sweet, para que la palabra sea dulce, so that people would listen to me. And so I, it's extraordinary because in my life the doors have opened. Where other people knocked and the door didn't open, I knocked and the door did open. And so I cannot take the credit for that, I think it was the shamanistic support, spiritual support, or whatever we might call it, uh, that uh, gave me that extra energy or that extra space. And, and so I went first and I got involved in this. Then I, uh, there was a, a, a guy who had been president 
and he was going a second time for that. He asked me to support him. I said, I can't support you, but I mean, I'm not going to get involved with, with politics in that sense. But I gave him the idea of signing papers to get the land recognized, the first four and a half million hectares recognized, and we got that done. He said, I said, we have to get a letter to the ministry because they, they didn't want to give the land to the Indians, uh, the government. But since he was an important man and had been president, he wrote a letter, or I wrote a letter, he signed it, we took it to the ministry and got the first four and a half million, and that was in 1981. We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you would like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.